SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Take these two over to the garage, will you? I want them cleaned up for dinner. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one at a time. We're kicking off a look at a new franchise for us with uh, looking at the first film in the Star Wars saga. Uh, it comes with a few different titles. Originally it was released as Star Wars and later it got um, retitled Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope for its 1978 re-release in the theaters. Directed by George Lucas, produced by Gary Kurtz, written by George Lucas, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Gary Fisher, Peter Cushing, Alec Guinness, music by John Williams, cinematography by Gilbert Taylor, this came out in uh, May 25th, 1977 in the U.S. And off a budget of $11 million, grossed $775 million worldwide. And counting. And counting. I don't know if that's adjusting for, uh, you know, inflation or anything. Uh, with me is Thrasher. Hello. And BJ. Howdy, guys. I'm trying to think last time we had you on, BJ. It's been a while. I know you've been busy with grad school. Yes, it's go- that's going very well. Soon I'll be teaching your children, hopefully about Star Wars. Cool. Uh, is there a specific uh, sort of teaching you're, you're studying? Uh, I am actually focusing on art as well as social studies. Oh, how about that? So um, you can check out uh, past episodes of SequelCast at SequelCast.com or uh, check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. You can follow me, Matt, on Twitter at SequelCast. You can follow Thrasher at Internet Mayor and yes, BJ. You can. Are you on Twitter? Uh, I refuse to be on Twitter. Okay, it scares me. And Mr. BJ is not on Twitter. Um, so I mean, this this film, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, is big for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But uh, when did you first watch it, BJ? Actually, I did not see the original Star Wars movie until probably the late 80s, when it happened to come on uh, the NBC movie of the week. Hmm. I I grew up just having video cassettes uh, recorded off of HBO of Empire and Jedi. So I only thought there was two, you know, movies in the whole thing, until eventually I got to see it on NBC. So were you really confused when you're like, wait a second, uh, Luke Skywalker's nose looks different in this one? No, I I knew it was supposed to be different. I knew, I, eventually I found out it was more there. Uh, Star Wars is actually what got me into reading, um, to to reading uh, as, as a hobby and on my own hmm. was uh, I picked up the novelization of Star Wars. It was one of the first books I ever bought with my own money. 
And you know that it says on the novel it's by George Lucas, but it's actually was ghost written by Alan Dean Foster. So. I, 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 you know, it did. It definitely reads very different than the book. Like it definitely seems like someone different writing it. Yeah. Although, if you're going to get anybody to write a novelization of of Star Wars, it it really ha- I think it should be Alan Dean Foster. When Alan Dean Foster did do a spinoff, you know, sort of the first Star Wars spinoff novel, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, um, in between this and Empire. He also did a great uh, Star Wars spin-off movie, The Last Starfighter. Yes. And Conceptually spun-off. Has nothing to do with Star Wars, but it's an awesome movie. Well, right. And he, among other things, he later did a Star Wars novel several years later called The Approaching Storm that took place between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. So that's sort of neat they brought him back for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, for Star Wars, for me, as, as a kid, I, I grew up, uh, in uh, some different countries in uh, Central and South America. Some people refer to that area as Latin America, depending on uh, where you're from. And I, we had a Return of the Jedi uh, puzzle of a Jabba the Hutt. That was like 100 pieces, pretty small puzzle. And we had an Ewok board game um, where you go around collecting fruit and other Ewok food. Yeah, but I had never seen the movies, and... Uh, when I first saw Star Wars, I told my mom to rent Star Wars, because that's what it said in the big letter on the Jabba the Hutt puzzle. And she came back with Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And I immediately said, this is crap. This isn't Jabba the Hutt. What is this shit? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> not with that language, but I was thinking that in my head. And uh, But I didn't actually sit down to see the whole movie until I was maybe 12 years old. And we borrowed a copy of the trilogy on videotape with some friends. So, uh, Thrasher, when did you first see... Uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and was it your first Star Wars movie that you saw? It it was, although frankly, I don't know when or where I first saw it. Uh, the for for I just for whatever reason, I always remember having had seen this film, but I don't know when I first saw it. The first time I very consciously remember seeing it was at a uh, summer camp when I was uh, seven or eight. It was just it was something that we we watched. Uh, one day, at the, uh, one uh, afternoon at the camp, but I know I had seen it before then, Ooh. and I think I and and for whatever reason, I don't think I was ten until I realized that it was part of a larger body of work. Because for some reason, when it was ten, it suddenly occurred to me: oh, these three movies are interconnected. Yeah, just the way my mind worked at the time. <laughs> I think it's most kids, though, you, you don't realize that it's a big overarching story. I think it's one of the cool draws about Star Wars, is that it can they can be individual films that kids can enjoy, but then you get that overarching story for older people. Well, that, that is something that, like, going, going back to these films in, in preparation for the sequel cast, that is something that really stood out to me. Uh, these films, uh, particularly Star Wars, hold up really well on their own, and in fact, if Star if Episode Four: A New Hope was the only Star Wars film that had ever been made. I think we would all still love it as much, and I think we'd still be doing this episode. Yeah, and I, I think it, um, you know, certainly the way it ends, and like it's being set up with a sequel or anything, it, except for you know Darth Vader and the Tie Fighter getting knocked out of the way at the last second. Um, but I mean, you look, and there are several different cuts of this film, which I guess we can talk about at the end of the show. You know, this the. 1977 theatrical version. You had the special edition in 97, 
the DVD release in 2004, and the Blu-ray release in 2011. So in each of those has different changes with them, which is... Uh, I'd like say this is the first one I saw in theaters. It was A New Hope. Uh, when they did the special edition. Yeah. So that that was my first you know, theatrical release of Star Wars. Right. I mean, when I saw that, I saw that in <coughs> Theater 2 in 97, and uh, I was really um, taken aback to see that I thought the Death Star sequence in particular played much better in a movie theater. Oh, on, yeah. On a big screen, just was really immersive. Oh, yeah. Pick up it's- all the little details. It's, this is this is a movie. This is one of those movies where, and I actually I remember when they were advertising for the special edition. That was like their big thing was like it showed like a little TV screen with a Tie Fighter fight sequence on it for over a gener- there, for over a generation. This was the only way you could see Star Wars. Now see it like this, and it explodes and fills the whole screen, and. And that is really something. Like I, 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 I had always loved Star Wars up to that point, but I, I loved it even more seeing it on the big screen. And, and part of me feels like if there was any like sense in in Hollywood, there would be one weekend every summer where the trilogy would show up in theaters, <laughs> and I would watch that in the theaters every summer. Well, they are uh, re-releasing the Star Wars films as a post, uh, you know, three D conversions, and. Um Ugh. Episodes two and three, Attack of the Clones: Revenge of the Sith, are coming out in 2013, and they haven't announced a, a release date for the original trilogy in 3D in theaters. Um, and you know, with the recent uh, Disney owning Star Wars and Lucasfilm, Lucas everything now, um, I imagine they'll continue that course. But we will see. I think that's also another interesting. And to say, I mean, watching this again, the thing that really struck me is the plot in uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope is so intimate and it's so focused. You don't get a zillion planets like in the other films, or if you do, they're not very well developed with their own, uh, you know, architecture and alien well, creatures and ecosystem. Well, you get Tatooine. like Tatooine, Yavin. Well, but Yavin, you just see like an exterior shot, and then you see like the the mission briefing room and the starship. Yeah, but really, it's it's mainly Tatooine. And then they're in, um, and in Tatooine, you know, you get all, the, you get the the homestead, you get the uh, the canteen and all that stuff. But it's not as focused on as many different environments. There's not as many well, different the, vehicles. You get decent depth on the Death Star itself. Yeah, that yeah. that really is its own planet, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, and I, I get those sets and the matte paintings though. When you're inside the Death Star, is great because it constantly reminds you how huge this structure is. I mean, it is, it is, it is. A, a true megastructure, and and like I think there's only one cramped set on the Death Star, and that's that one computer console room that the droids break into, or the garbage compactor. Well, it gets smaller, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it starts pretty big. Yeah, I mean, as we look over the the list of actors in this film, one that really jumps out to me is Alec Guinness as Obi Wan Kenobi. He just really classes up the joint and. Uh, not that the other acting is bad, but you have a respectable, you know, British actor that's won an Academy Award in your in your science fiction film. I mean, at the time in 1977, aside from maybe Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey, science fiction films were like uh, Planet of the Apes or something. See, that's that's what's interesting. Is I really would love to have seen some sort of old interviews with him and, and ask him, you know, what he thought about it. Why did he pick this? As you know, with somebody who's got an Academy Award, definitely has any you know their choice in movies. They don't just like do a movie because they need to. Was, so, is why, I why did Alec Guinness pick Star Wars? 
as I understand it, there was nothing special about it. He just he just needed a paycheck, and that this was an available project uh, that he didn't have to spend too much time on set for. I and heard. Oh, go on. Well, just and like you know, looking back at, at interviews and reminiscences that people have had with Alec Guinness, he he doesn't was not too fond of Star Wars, uh, and I guess you know, but, but at the same time, I, I guess I can, I can respect that if only because he still for for a movie he did as near as I can tell just for the paycheck, he still turns in a great performance and he brings that gravitas and that British stage craftsmanship to the role. I heard an interview with him during research for this show where uh, Alec Guinness said he loved American graffiti. He was offered the script to Star Wars. He opened it. He's like, oh, no, not science fiction. But he sat down to read it and sort of got caught up in the story. And uh, I, don't, I think it was after Star Wars became so huge. Uh, there's a very famous story in uh, one of the, you know, I think there's several Alec Guinness. I don't know if you call them autobiographies or they publish his diaries or stuff throughout the years. But uh, there's a story where there is a, a mom and, and her, her little son, and they go up to get a, a signature from uh, Sir Alec Guinness himself for, for Star Wars. And uh, Alec Guinness is like, you know, I don't normally sign uh, two signatures for this, but if I... Uh, how, how many times has your son seen this film? And the mom's like, oh, we've seen it a hundred times. And Alec Guinness looked at the little kid aghast and said, well, I'll sign this for you if you promise me one thing. You'll never, ever watch that film again. I'm afraid oh, it's becoming an obsession for you. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, that actually sounds almost like British humor. Like he could have said that in jest. <laughs> it's dry. I'll, I'll sign this for you, but you must promise me you'll never watch Star Wars again. At least he didn't do the hand wave. You'll never watch this film again. <laughs> <laughs> All your things oh, will man. take place now, not in the galaxy far, far away. And Master. Um, I mean, is there an actor in this film that really sticks out to you? Peter Cushing, Cushing, I think, is great. James Earl Jones, that that oh, voice, yes. the voice of Darth without Vader, without that deep gravitas of his voice, Darth Vader, I don't think would have the menace. Even though he's got this menacing presence, his voice just brings it to another level. What's it's one of those amazing things because with with James Earl Jones doing the voice, and is it Peter? Is it Peter Mayhew in the suit, or is Peter Mayhew Chewbacca? Peter, Peter Mayhew is Chewbacca. Chewbacca. David, David Krause. Krause is David Krause. The, the right. Because you have, when you have David Krause's physical acting in the suit and James Earl Jones' voice, but they blend together so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it, Darth Vader is Darth Vader. He's neither of those actors. He is the sum total of their uh, ability on screen. Well, and in um, this first Star Wars film... Uh, the voice of James Earl Jones sounds quite a bit different than in the later films. It's, oh, he's a younger actor. He's a younger a actor. It's not as heavily younger. processed either. Uh, but, um, yeah, Peter Cushing is Grand Moff Tarkin. Mm-hmm. Just a real solid actor who was in all the Hammer horror films playing Dr. Frankenstein and stuff like that. I believe you played Van Helsing uh, in a movie or two as well. Uh, oh, yeah, in a lot of the Dracula pictures, sure. And that's that's just another that's just another you know nice coup that we get that classic a classic B movie act, actor and and he, 
he is so often the best thing in in his movies, and he does bring he does bring a lot to what is in the in the end a relatively minor role within Star Wars. Well, but Darth Vader isn't even like the main bad guy in this film, really. There's not as much of a focus on him as the other films. He's kind of you know kicked around by the bureaucrats in the office. Where he's talking about the Force, and no one's really believing in him. You feel kind of bad for him. Yeah, well, I mean, he's 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 the emperor, but at the same time, he still has a lot of menace because he's driven, and he's the emperor's right hand man. He's the guy that gets stuff done when the emperor's uh, generals can't. You know? Now, do they even mention the emperor in this film? He is mentioned. Is he okay? And and like, but I think I think the sum total of the like galactic politics that gets mentioned is when when the the, the whole run about how the uh, the emperor has dissolved the senate and transferred all legal powers to regional and planetary governors, and I, that one line just kind of quickly sums up the political situation in the movie. I would have thought with all the different versions of this film they've done, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. Uh, that they would have filmed footage of uh, Ian McDermott as the Emperor and stuck it in this film to make it so he's in all the movies. But I'm glad they didn't. I That's one of the few peeves I have about the special editions and stuff where they start adding in and changing out ghosts. Yes, yeah, we'll talk about that more with the Return of the Jedi. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I think we've touched on the actors some. Uh, why don't we talk about Mark Hamill's nose in this film? You know, when he was... I, well, he's still totally, young and attractive at this point. Yes, and, you know, like, short, I don't think all the actors Same thing were with done... with Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I don't think all the actors were done filming uh, this film. Uh, I mean, uh, Mark Hamill was done filming his part for this film. He got in a terrible car crash and had to have massive reconstructive facial surgery. And, uh, I mean, you can tell with the way he looks in Empire Strikes Back and all the films that came out after this. He looks really different. And and yet it works because in those later movies he's no longer he's no longer a, a young boyish hero he's becoming a man and he's been through some stuff. Yeah, but I I, I was thinking today you know they have the the whole phenomenon of fan edits where fans you know cut their own version of the film and release it online, which mm-hmm. is obviously not legal. But what I'm wondering is why don't they try to be creative and do an edit where they you know superimpose Mark Hamill's nose from the later Star Wars films onto this one. So you get so a nasal sp- continuity. A, sp- a special nasal edition. <laughs> yeah, special nasal edition. <laughs> Two nostrils up. Uh. See, only if they can then dub it into 3D so his nose can you know, really come out at you. <laughs> well, that's the sequel cast challenge, listeners. Go back and do a special, for us, do a special nose edit of Star Wars in 3D. Yeah. Mark Hamill's nose restored. Or maybe you can do the opposite. You can take his nose from this film and make it look like that in the later films. <laughs> Get to practice your color correcting, your compositing. Sounds like great fun. Uh, I think the, the biggest actor difference is Harrison Ford from, from in all the films. He the big he very changes a lot between uh, you know, episode four and five. Well his nose looks the same to me. Well, oh, just in general, oh. just his look. He yes, yeah. he seems to have aged the most in that in that whole time. He hasn't aged much since. He still pretty much looks the same. But yeah, I mean, in fact, Harrison Ford's going to be starring in a science fiction movie in a, I think November of 2013 called Ender's Game, uh, based off a really good book by Orson Scott Card. So it'll be fun to see him return to the genre again. But yeah, I mean, he looks more shaggy in this film. I um, 
I was reading somewhere that the dialogue in this Star Wars film can be described as comic booky because it's very declarative. Look over there! Oh no, a laser! Ooh, they didn't get us this time. I don't think it's quite that bad, but <laughs> it's well. Th- that's one it's of very the, pulpy. Yes, pulpy. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, has that. but I think it's appropriate because it is a modern day pulp uh, space opera story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, who can forget the music of John Williams too? It's <laughs> so much. Even though it doesn't have the classic Darth Vader theme, that doesn't show up until Empire Strikes Back. But it just elevates the whole movie. I, I wondered what the film would be like if you took the music out. It, it would lose a lot. Yeah. It, I, I don't think it would have been as success, successful. Like, if they had used, like, a, you know, a pop, uh, you know, music approach to it, mm. it would have totally flopped. Hey, that's another uh, fan edit people can do. Take the Star Wars disco novelty album, By replace Mako. all of the John Williams score in Star <laughs> Wars with the music from the <laughs> disco album. Let's see how that works. <laughs> That'd be something. Wow. Which... Weirdly enough, I was at a. Uh, I'm trying to remember where I was. I was. Uh, I was out with uh, with Sarah. We were. We we were. We were in in. Uh, I think Lexington. You know, just doing. You know, do, doing shopping and whatnot. And some, I believe, it was a store we were in. For some reason, they were playing the Star Wars, the the disco Star Wars theme yeah. over the PA. You know, I know they re-released a version of it with some new tracks when Phantom Menace came out. And uh, the artist's name is Miko. I think it's M-E-K-O or M-E-C-O, one of those. Uh, but that, that's a very amusing novelty album. I've never listened to the whole thing. I've heard Ryan's some right really interesting like, techno remixes of the, the, the famous Star Wars you know, songs, between, between the original as, as well as Duel of the Fates and some others. Hmm, right. Well, actually, wasn't, wasn't there the, a, tech, a techno cut of the soundtrack called like, Star Wars Breakbeats and, and something else? Uh, I'm sure there has been a lot of stuff over the years. I mean, you have the whole thing of, like, the, I don't know, the geek band? I don't know what you call it. You know, there's a lot of, like, Star Wars-themed bands where they dress up like characters and perform music with a lot of Star Wars puns. Uh, or, they're, like, they're, they do that with Harry Potter stuff, too. Um, I think I saw, I saw you know, a documentary about that somewhere. I think I know who you're talking about there. Mm-hmm. I probably have the name of that sort of genre, Ron. I don't know what you call it, but... Uh, it's, I, I think uh, one of my favorite things about this film is that the story is so pure and simple. And that it's it's your classic you know, hero's journey kind of. Yeah. Set up, and, and that's one of the things that's so great about the whole series is it is these classic themes brought into a, you know, a sci-fi setting. I think you're exactly right. Which is also one of the great strengths of the science fiction and space opera genre is that you can take these classic themes, you know, these, these stories, any kind of story, and make it fit, and it becomes its own genre. That's one of the interesting things about uh, science fiction and space operas. It's that they are, they are their own genre, yet they still contain these other stories. They contain the romantic comedy and the adventure and the action and, and dramas. Well, yeah, Star Star Wars has has a little bit has a little bit of western, a little bit of samurai film, a little bit of Arthurian legend. It's it's it is all things to all people. I think that's why it's so influential on everyone as well. I know the only reason I would even I even know you guys is because of Star Wars. Without Star Wars, I never would have gone to art college. Art college. Hmm. How so? 
all just that's what got you know you guys know I was the only one in the gamers guild there that was into in the special effects department. Yep. And I I did that because of Star Wars. Star Wars had that kind of impact on me. It it developed where I wanted to go in life. You know, I guess in a way it's the same for me as well. It was for uh, for me it was it was because of uh, Star Wars and uh, and old comic books. Some of which were Star Wars. Yeah, I um, I certainly spent a lot of time in high school trying to do imitations of different Star Wars characters and, and reading the novels, and uh, it's influential for me as well. I did a posting on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast, and uh, one of our lins- listeners, Vinicius uh, Antoniacci, was uh, recommending the book The Making of Star Wars by J.W. Rensler. It came out, I think, for the um, in two thousand seven or something. It's a big hardcover book. I think for like the thirtieth anniversary of the film, maybe thirty fifth anniversary. I'm not sure, but uh, I've read that from the library about a year ago, and it's really neat. You get all sorts of photographs. They even list the shot schedule day by day for the film, and talks about old versions of the script. I uh, recently have been reading a book that's been really interesting called The Secret History of Star Wars, in which um, it sort of compares different screenplays and different versions of all the uh, six films in the saga. That's a really interesting read. Hmm. Speaking of, see, I've, I've been uh, in Barnes & Noble the other day, and yeah. I happen to see, you know how they have those, those beautifully done uh, hardbound books? They actually have uh, the novelization of the three, uh, the trilogy, as oh, a, okay. as one of those beautiful hardbounds. Oh, cool! Yes, I'm, I'm, it's been calling to me as soon as I get a, another paycheck. Yeah, the novelizations of the the uh, films are fun because they have all these scenes that weren't in the actual movie. <coughs> and I actually read when I was younger. I read the radio drama version of. Star Wars, the original Star Wars. Oh, I've never oh, heard those awesome. before. I've oh, never got great. never got a chance to hear it, but that that just the reading the script was beautiful. Like there were some scenes in there, like you knew about it and you knew that this should have happened, and then to see it done in such depth because of the, the way radio dramas work. Hmm. Well, that's that's another key thing about Star Wars. It's bigger than itself. Yes, it's it has spawned so much content and inspired so many people that it's. I mean, hey, look, we haven't even started on the shot for shot part of the film yet. Just setting everything up here. <laughs> True. That's how big it is, and this one movie started it all. That's that's amazing. I mean, the beginning of the film is really quite uh, avant garde, where it focuses, you know, almost exclusively on the droids, C three PO and R two D two. One of which doesn't speak, you know, R2-D2 is just like... And yet, with those beeps and boops, he is so thoroughly expressive. He's, he is. He is, the only, he is the only adorable robot that's ever been done right. Just yeah, the, the amount of just the simple expressions he can do by moving his parts and beeping is just as emotive as even like a, an animal, a dog or something, when you can see an animal and realize their emotions, it's the same concept with R2-D2. He's got that endearing, you know, man's best friend kind of quality. 
Well, and another another thing that I I gotta hand it to Star Wars, um, robots in up and up until this point, robots in in movies were either just tools of destruction, uh, there to look cool, or were like a a fancy a fancy mechanical butler. But I like that that R two D two and C three PO are clearly built for for specific functions. In the case of in the case of, uh, of C-3PO human-cyborg relations, you know, facilitating communication, it makes sense that he'd be a humanoid robot, and, and you know, he's just there to look good and be approachable and personable. I seriously doubt he can do much of anything with those arms of his. Whereas R2-D2 is also plausible because he, he's a mobile toolbox. He he is he is a th- fully utilitarian design. Yes, the design work in the Star Wars films is some of the best stuff. They're very believable designs. Well, it's nice that it's very... Uh, everything looks used, kind of beat up a bit. Oh, yeah. It, and, it's it's, a, it's yeah. just all the smudges and like imperfections you see communicate that this is a universe with some history. I even think the scene is kind of scary when uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are inside the Jawa um, Sandcrawler. And you just oh, God, all, the, all the dismembered all droids, the dismembered robots around them, and you hear R two D two sound sad, and you don't really know what's happening next. And it is creepy because, for all intents and purposes, they've been abducted, and probably so have all the other droids in there. Yeah, but what's so great is that you've come to expect because of C three and R two, you realize these droids have personalities and themselves, and you're wondering about their stories. That's what's so great is about all the other additional characters. All those background characters, they feel like they have a story to tell. They're not just there. Well, well then that's a, another uh, wonderful thing about this uh, about uh, Star Wars. There is virtually no exposition for anything. You know, like uh, when you know, like you know, like re- like restraining bolts. Oh, fit him with a restraining bolt, and and then that's all the explanation you get, and it makes so much sense that oh yeah, it's something to control droids which have a consciousness of their own, and obviously that remote has something to do with it. And the story keeps on moving. You're right, Thrasher. There is a really good pacing, even in scenes where you get exposition. It's done a little bit like a mystery when uh, you know Luke sees uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, and they're messing around with R two D two and play the message from Princess Leia. You know, you just get part of the message. You're not sure what it is. It keeps on repeating. And uh, it just helps you get swept up in the event in the adventure. I mean, Mark Hamill does a really good job as Luke Skywalker in what could be, frankly, a boring character in that he's kind of the goody two-shoes and doesn't have much to go in this film as far as a character arc. They kind of build on that later. I, I, I don't think this one was really about Luke. No. I think this is more about the group as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think this is about you know, defining... They're, they're starting points. It's, you're not seeing... I don't think you see a lot of character development in Star Wars itself. Just uh, in the further films, you see them start to grow and change. This is really just their introduction. And we talked before about R2-D2 you know, being so effective with not having dialogue. Chewbacca, in the same way, is just as effective, if not more so, <laughs> in that... You can make up in your mind what he's saying, but you still get a sense of, uh, you know, he, he's big, he looks kind of threatening, but he can be kind of cuddly at the same time. It just depends. And I love that we don't get any subtitles. We can just tell what he's saying by the, the, the tenor of his growling and yeah. how people react to his statements. 
You know, they did a study with the uh, dogs recently where they took people that owned uh, dogs and recorded their dogs, uh, you know, making different whines and barks and played them back to the owners and, uh, and uh, you know, consistently across the board with the different subjects. The owner could listen to a, a specific dog yell from their dog and they could say, oh, the dog was scared. Oh, the dog's hungry. Oh, the dog's lonely. Um, you know, so they could associate what those sounds mean. And I think, uh, you know, with R2-D2 and uh, Chewbacca, the noises they make throughout all six of these Star Wars films, I mean, they are repetitive, but you do get a sense of what they mean, or at least what the intent is. And, uh, you know, some people have joked that R2-D2 is really cursing the whole time at C-3PO. <laughs> I think that's one of the things, that, I think they almost had to, because though, especially... The, the sidekick characters, they're so strong that they could actually overpower the main characters if they could speak and be understood perfectly. Because you think about think about just people would love to see Chewbacca just talking, and but then he would overpower Han Solo because there's this big imposing Wookiee versus yeah. little Han Solo who's going to command more presence with the speech. But by having Han almost act as a a translator for what he's saying by the way he reacts to Chewbacca, it kind of gives Han that edge. Well, I also, as odd as this sounds, I also completely buy Han and Chewbacca as just, as, as two grizzled old space buddies. Mm. They do, they do play off each other like friends and business partners. Definitely. They're, and I really would love to see how they met like i would i really would love to have seen that uh is one of the you know yeah they introduced chewbacca you know in episode three but i think it was kind of silly it would have been interesting to see like maybe young han solo was involved there and that's how they got met you know if you're going to include that yeah. kind of setup really go for it you they know? had that planned at one point in, uh, in the early scripting stages they had concept artwork of a young han solo on kashyyyk the but they couldn't planet. fit in one more kid with father issues in those prequels. Probably not. I mean, you know, I mean, we'll get into this later when you talk about the prequel films in the coming weeks. But, um, you know, like Boba Fett was supposed to make another appearance in Revenge of the Sith, and he never did. So he makes a he makes pretty good appearance. They've done really good development with him in the, the Clone Wars. But we'll get to that. Now. Oh yeah, in the, right. And well, how do you guys feel episode. about the the effects in uh, Episode Four? Well, which um, we can talk about. Well, well, let's talk the, about the original, the original effects. Version. And we'll talk about special editions. Uh, they're I'm still really very impressed. well done. Yeah, I think they're really well done. I'm just so impressed every time by the Death Star run. You look at all the detail and all the little bits and pieces of the trench and of the surface of the planet, or not the planet of the Death Star itself. Just all the nooks and crannies look all detailed and worn, worn, and they got the satellite towers and everything. It's uh. This is actually some of the first um, really working with computer motion tracking uh, for yeah. the cameras and models of doing the oh, scenes. Yeah. It's it, that's when one of the things is this is some of the best space battles ever. Mostly, I'm just aside from just the nostalgia that this is where they learned how to. You know, you look at this with the the computer motion tracking that ILM developed for it, and then you look at like. The old flash cordon, where like it's the strings and the and the rockets. Yeah. You you could not pull off the things that they pulled off without the technical innovations that they did. I mean, there's a reason that 
you know, Star Wars, without it, Industrial Light and Magic never would have really come into being the leader in you know, technological advancement in special effects without not, them. Yeah, and it's not just the special effects, BJ. I mean, it's also how they work in um, unison with the sound effects by Ben Burt. Oh, yes. I mean, the fact that Lucasfilm had totally separate companies running sound and special effects and tell you the importance that they put on it with Skywalker Sound and, and ILM. In fact, I mean, they've done stuff for... You could find them on almost any big movie in Hollywood, even to this day. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what do you think of the special effects in this film, Thrasher? I... I... I, I love them. I love that. I love that you can see. Like I love uh, old-fashioned model work. That's one thing that I think it has been lost with the move over to CGI. I love seeing a well-made model on screen, and Star Wars just has the best model work of of any science fiction film that I've ever seen. Uh, e- even com- even compared to to the uh, sequels in the original trilogy, I still prefer the the model work uh, in in A New Hope. And and the, the fact that the special effects uh, still hold up, in part because they're part of a very good movie with a very good story, but also just because of the sheer amount of craftsmanship uh, that, that goes into every frame where there where there's any kind of effects going on. Uh, and there's only one effect shot in the original cut of the film which doesn't quite show up, but it's so quick. They're not not show up. It doesn't quite hold up, but it's so quick that you don't notice it, but I enjoy spotting it. And it's just like, let's it's during try the- and guess what this is. BJ, what do you think this okay. could be? I don't know. I guess because I get so caught up in the whole of the thing, I don't really nitpick about it. I- I'm thinking it might be when the, uh, the land speeder pulls up in front of the cantina. Uh, no, actually. Uh, the, the one I'm thinking of, it's during the, the, the Battle of Yavin, when they're attacking the Death Star, there is a really quick cut with the camera zooming over a section of the Death Star surface, and, uh, and some explosives go off. And it's just, it's really clearly something filmed with a lot of natural light and some very basic pyrotechnics, but it comes and goes so fast that you, you don't, you don't you don't notice that that's what it is uh, because it and I think it's in part because just having that really quick practical explosion in that moment keeps the momentum of the fight sequence going. See, the only effect shot that bothers me is the severed arm with the blood from the lightsaber. Oh yeah, when they consistently, oh, yeah. it didn't make sense. Even though we, I mean, we know that in the future that doesn't happen, but. It seems like even in the even in the special editions, they didn't go in and like re and fix that so that it looks like a a cauterized wound. That's true. I guess the wound is supposed to be cauterized. But then then again, maybe Kenobi had the lightsaber turned down on a lower setting so that it was just <laughs> as sharp but not as hot. It is kind of a shocking moment. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Do you want pins and stickers? Because we don't have them. Like a broken keyboard, we're out of control. Take it out. You got wah, 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 po, and hojo. How about a no more woe? Join us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. 
Hello, my name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm inviting you to listen to Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast where myself and two of my very best gaming chums are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. For all the episodes and information, check out our website, www.our3cents.co.uk. Let's talk briefly about the different versions, and we've kind of, I've gone on this in length in a past sequel cast special episode. But, um, you know, you got the special edition, the DVD release, the Blu-ray version. Uh, One change that sticks out to me that's really strange is on the 2011 Blu-ray release. uh, Recall there's the scene in Star Wars Episode IV, A New Hope, where um, Luke and R2 are looking for Ben Kenobi, and they find him, and they get attacked by a a sand person, and um, Ben Kenobi makes a noise to scare them off, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, they changed the noise in the Blu-ray version where it's like highly mechanical and processed and sounds like... (laughs) So it's a murloc instead of a crack dragon. (laughs) It does sound like a murloc. It's very strange. Like in the original film, you can barely tell that he's making a sound and they've sort of fussed with that throughout the different versions. But I think that's a very strange change. Uh, What's a change in one of the different versions that sticks out to you, BJ? Hmm. I guess you know. To me, it's the when the adding of the scene with Jabba the Hut. Yeah. Um. I like that they added the scene in, but I don't like the whole Han stepping on. It would have made more sense to me that Han would step over Jabba the Jabba's tail. Like Han's a pretty tough dude, but he would. I don't think he would pull that kind of stunt with all of those bounty hunters around. Like, you know, he's got. Balls, but not that kind of balls. And I realized that that's a complication caused by the fact that the scene was originally filmed with a human actor in costume, even though there was there were designs to have him replaced with a a clay a a, a stop motion animated object early in the filming that was abandoned. They they could have left him. They didn't have to shift him up like that. I think that it would have played better with him just you know making it make it look like he took a step. You know, a bigger step or something, as opposed to the up thing. It just looks kind of funny yeah, well, to me as a special effects person. And the way yeah, the or scene... have Jabba curled up on like a hovering platform that yeah. he can just walk around, and there's no tail to get in the way. Because he definitely looks smaller in that scene too. He doesn't. He look... does. He looks. Tiny. Yeah. The skin, and not only that, I mean, he looks like shit in the '97 special edition. And they cleaned up the CG on him in the later releases, but. Yeah, I think they just were kind of trying to experiment to see how they can mesh a, a CG Star Wars character with a human character. And seeing how it works, even if it was old footage. Um, is there a version in one of the special editions of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope that sticks out to you, Thrasher? Um, I still, overall, I still prefer uh, the the. Well, that's the thing is, apparently, it's you know, it's 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 been tinkered with almost since its release because like even the episode four uh part was added but um after the initial theatrical release but like you know i suppose the one i'm most most fond of is the the one that i had on vhs for ages uh simply because that's the one i'd seen the most the one i'm most familiar with but also because with some of the special edition stuff while some of the special edition uh uh, new effects i do appreciate a lot of them are, are cluttered and like i've I can't stand antics, and so I like that oh, bit yeah. where there's like the droids like cleaning up rubble in 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 uh, Moss Eisley's, and there's that one little like hovering droid that comes by whistling a noise, and another droid bops it on the head. That's just antics, and I I, I 
don't feel that 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 adds anything to the movie. On the other hand, I like all the creatures walking around that they added. I like the increase the amount of uh, spaceships that come from Yavin 4 to attack the Death Star in some of those establishing shots. That's oh, yes. Fun. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, the, 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 the X-Wing neat. scenes there were, were wonderful in that second, in that, yeah, re-release. So, um... You know what doesn't bother me about versions? What? The Greedo scene does not bother me, unlike most <laughs> Star Wars. I I think people get too caught up into the nostalgia yeah. to realize it doesn't matter. Greedo's a terrible shot, and Hans just vapor, vaporized him anyway. It, yeah, that, that's it always, doesn't matter who shot first. Yeah. That, that's always been time, my take, that Greedo th- is trying to make a name for himself, but he's not cut out for the bounty hunting game, and that's why he's such a bad shot. Hmm. Well, see, also, as an artist, I understand the the desire to go back and alter things that I don't think fit my vision of what they were supposed to be. So I can respect Lucas for that and, and accept changes he's made. Even if I don't like them, I can still accept it like that, and I'm not going to have an aneurysm like some people do about Although, especially that scene like that is one of the scenes you see the most controversy about well related to that though i i have that impulse as well and i find increasingly that i have to break myself of that impulse or else nothing i do will ever be done and i'll never be able to move on to to newer projects i if i tinker with something enough i inevitably destroy it see that's the thing is he's he's gotten out of it though he, he's not. He can't tinker with it anymore because he decided to sell the whole thing off. So <laughs> he's realized that he's reached that point where I can't make this any better. If I go any further, it would totally ruin everything. And so he sold it to Disney. Yeah. Which is going to make it really weird when the 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 sequels are released to not have the 20th Century Fox, Fox. logo at the beginning. Yep. Because you know they're not going to release them through that. You know, you know what? I, I kind of hope that they will show a Star Wars city with the same silhouette as the Magic Kingdom, but it's all weird, like high-tech spires and things like that. Do all the around. And then an X-Wing like, flies over it to make that little Disney arc. I'm wondering if they'll use that opportunity to make uh, like Star Wars characters make a cameo in... Um I don't know something like a Kingdom Hearts video game or, or something. I don't know. There's I, a lot. I actually hope not. I'm. You don't think? Well, you no, know, I. They could. I think honestly that <laughs> Kingdom Hearts has lost its novelty. They have done a lot of sequels of that for the uh, the 3DS and PSP and all that stuff. Well, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not Star Wars characters might show up on Once Upon a Time. That's the true. Umbrella TV show, yeah. Wait, they also have a new. Um, they have the new uh, Disney Infinity or something that's coming out. Where it's it's a little bit Minecraft, a little bit uh, kind of like that, but it's all Disney themed. And a lot of the stuff that they show in their previews are their non-Disney specific properties, things like Incredibles, um, stuff that's not their animated princesses and stuff. It's their, their less traditional things that we associate with Disney, like Pirates of the Caribbean and what have you. Yeah, that'll... So you might see Star Wars in that. That might be no, kind of interesting. <laughs> sure. I, I certainly wish they would take over for Bioware right now. Yeah, there hasn't been a good uh, Star Wars game in a long time. Um, but, I mean, we can talk about that in our spinoff episode. Oh, would yes. you? I hate asking this question because it seems so stupid. <laughs> but out of five stars, what would you rate Star Wars Episode Four 
A New Hope. I will start. I, I give this film, I think, uh, five out of five stars. It might be my favorite Star Wars movie. It It's certainly one of my top three movies of all time, along with Amadeus and Starship Troopers in no particular order. Uh, that's an eclectic collection for you there. I I just think the the simplicity of the story really helps drive the the pacing and it's uh this with the music, the special effects, it's just a real fun wor- introduction to a world that became its own uh phenomenon. BJ I got to give it a 4 out of 5 just uh because there's definitely room for improvement even you know in the in the original releases and the, I think that you know, I might give like the special edition or something where they've done some of the improvements, you know, a five. But I think as it was originally released, it's definitely a four out of five. It's it's one of the you know great movies, but I think a lot of that comes later. Hmm. By especially when you add in the other movies, that's where it pushes it to that five stars. But as a as a single film, I think it's a four. Okay, it's. It is it is hard to rate this because I'll never be sure whether I'm giving an honest rating for the film or an honest rating for everything associated with the film that's grown out of it. Um, and and while I'd love to say I give it a whole galaxy of stars, and I really do mean that, I will I will go ahead and uh, and give it uh, five out of five. It's everything I want in an adventure movie. It's everything I want in a modern myth. It's it's nice and self-contained and uh, ca- can be seen on its own much more so than any of the other films in the series. Hmm. Especially Empire, you can't watch just Empire. It's it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, now we're going to play a pitch a sequel in which <laughs> we pretend no sequels were made to this film we're talking about. In this case, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, and we pitch <laughs> a sequel. So, uh, Thrasher, why don't you begin? Alrighty, my pitch sequel will be Star Wars uh, Episode Five: The Chase. Uh, and what's going to happen? This is going to take place uh, not too long after the end of A New Hope, and with uh, with the Death Star destroyed, Vader possibly dead. It's uh, it's really it's really shaken everybody's confidence in the Empire. So the rebellion's in full swing. But this movie isn't about the war between the rebellion and the Empire. No. It's about Jabba coming to collect his debt from Han Solo. So the movie is Han Solo, Chewbacca, you know, and Luke Skywalker on the run from uh, on the run from Jabba the Hutt while they try to get this for- this lost fortune, which Han Solo can use to pay Jabba back and he can be kept alive. And the problem is is there is that you have the Empire and the Rebellion on both sides, and you know they get into these circumstances like, well, do we go for the mo- you know do like you know Luke is like, well, do I go for the money to help my friend or do I stay here on this planet to help these people fighting off the tyranny of of the Empire? And uh, and and it'll be really cool. We we would get to see we would get to see Jabba behaving as an absolutely ruthless crime boss. Hmm. You could call it the Blob Father. No. No. Okay. <laughs> Although that would be a funny uh, if if we were to d- recut a trailer for uh for uh Return of the Jedi as a gangster movie, that's probably what we would have to call it. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're right. Uh Gee, I think for me, for pitch a sequel, I would do uh Star Wars Episode 5 um 
the rebels need a home. <laughs> or, you know, the rebels have grown a bit too big for their britches. It's kind of inspired by a campaign from the computer game X-Wing. We're sort of focused on a squadron of X-Wing fighters trying to fly around to find the... Um, you know, I think instead of the planet Hoth, I might make it... Maybe they go back to Tatooine and try to find a special place on there to hide. Um, because they want to monitor... What? Potential heroes hiding going to be that interesting of a movie? Yeah, you know, it's kind of the search of where... Well, big, that, that's kind of what happens in Empire. They start a hiding. A bit, yeah. A lot. But, I mean, this would be all about the search. You know, they have to find property that's good. And, all, and they want to be on, on Tatooine for a, a rebel base to keep uh, Jabba the Hutt in check, kind of monitor his criminal activities. See if Why they is the rebellion exciting. interested in Jabba the Hutt's criminal activities? Well, the rebellion, you know, wants to send... Uh, one of their own rebel fighter pilots undercover to Jabba the Hutt's palace. And that that's sort of what the second part of the film is about. But, um... Does he get pulled in too deep? He gets pulled in too deep, but he gets away just in time. I'm going to change my name of the title. It's not going to be called Rebels Need a Home. It's going to be called Star Wars Don't Desert Me. A Tatooine Tale. <laughs> <laughs> So, BJ, what's your picture sequel for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope? Let's see. How do, how do you do this? Because when you start thinking about it, <laughs> the weird twists that I would come up with are what they did. You know, <laughs> oh, Luke's father is Darth Vader. Yeah, okay. that totally makes sense as a weird twist. What if his father's the Emperor? Well, that you, you <laughs> never know. But I think I would I would definitely do a, a kind of a, a a Han Solo, Luke Skywalker. And Chewie kind of going across the galaxy adventure, you know, doing the Han Solo thing. Like, Luke is hanging out with him because he doesn't know what else to do because the princess doesn't want anything to do with him for some reason. I I think I would cut out Princess Leia. I'd bring in a new female. I'd do, you know, I'd love to do... I would do Star Wars like James Bond. Oh, where that's there's a new, cool. You know, one, a new one every year. What do you have Princess but I would Leia? definitely... I'd bring them to places like... Let's bring them to Kashyyyk. Let's bring them to Chewbacca's home world. Let's have them make the Kessel Run. Hmm. You hear about the Kessel Run? I would love to make the Kessel Run. And you know what? I would have them arrive on Kessel, and this is where Luke meets Yoda or his his future mentor becoming a Jedi is is a Jedi who's been imprisoned on Kessel, in the, working in the mines. Can I retroactively put the Kessel Run into my pitch as well? Sure. Cool. We're just gonna, you know what? We're gonna dual write it as a. <laughs> this is fun. I like this. Yeah. Um, well, there's so much, so much you can do with Star Wars. That's what's so great about it. I really enjoyed writing those the Star Wars LARPs that I had written. I think they were a lot of fun, especially try to try to bring in those Star Wars, you know, tropes and feel to it. I mean, if you're going to, you know, take inspiration from a movie franchise for a LARP, Star Wars is something everyone knows. True. Uh, and well, it's, a, it's a good and a bad thing. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all, it, that is true, because, you know, inevitably someone will have read, like, a tie-in comic book that I haven't, and they'll want to use that lore. And I always, I always want to let them use that lore, but at the same time, I, I I have to stay so much more on my toes to deal with any unintended consequences for for these bits of Star Wars minutia that I might not be able to follow. 
Right, and there, there's certainly a lot of it out there, that's for sure. Um, so we've talked about, you know, they were pitch a sequel, and let's do our final segment of the sequel cast uh, podcast called What You're Watching. And um, something I've enjoyed uh, last night, in fact, is I tried a demo out for a game that's out on the PC, Mac, uh, PS3, and Xbox 360 called The Cave. Have you heard about this? No. Uh, it's by Ron Gilbert who uh, was the creator of Monkey Island. And it's kind of like the old uh, video game, The Lost Vikings, where you switch between, you pick three people on your team, then you can switch between them to solve puzzles. And But you don't have a limited number of lives, at least not in the beginning. And uh, it's um, it's neat. You know, it's the kind of genre they don't do very much, sort of like a side-scrolling cooperative puzzle game. But um, and the cave has the voice of a voice actor. I think it's Jim Cummings. I'm not sure. He's in so many things. You could just oh, yeah. you could just put his name on it, and and nobody would know the difference because he's in everything. But I think the demo is a lot of fun. I'm not sure. I'll have to play it with uh, my wife Havana and see how she likes it because we've been looking for something co-op, and there's not that many games that are co-op that uh, you know you can play with your friends or significant other or what have you except for like the lego games which are fairly simple um and have star wars uh yeah in some of those cases yeah there's been three uh lego star wars games uh bj what's something you've been enjoying well let's see i've been playing uh world of warcraft miss of mandaria how's that it's uh it's it's pretty enjoyable but yeah being that i play on a role play server i do a lot more role play than any of the other you know gameplay stuff which is really nice because they give yeah. so much to it, and I, and I actually work on an add-on team for it, so I've oh. been coding. Cool. Did you get to noodle around with the starting area of Pandaria? If you play as a Pandarian, yeah, I did. Uh, I did when it was in beta, when I was in the beta, but I haven't uh, rolled a Pandaran character. No, I tend to play gnomes and goblins. <laughs> I just I find they're yeah. a lot easier to get into the mindset of. Is the high level content in Pandaren, or do they add much in that respect? Oh yes, the the uh, from eighty five to ninety is entirely in Pandaria. Okay. So you you go there and actually explore the land and really they've done a lot of stuff to really bring the lore and then and the art direction is just amazing. This it's definitely one of the best art direction jobs I've seen them do because they've got this. It's you can tell it's I don't want to say generic Asian. Because it's not generic, it's very stylized, but it has this feel of all of the Asian cultures, and not just China or not just Japan. Uh, and so they've done an amazing job. That and I've been—I've uh, also been watching Bones, hmm. which I, I had never seen before. I happened to catch an episode and then started watching it on Netflix. My wife really likes that show. Um, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? Uh, I am about halfway through season two of Portlandia. What do you think? The dream of the '90s is still alive. No, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I, it's it's a kind of a very understated comedy that I really really appreciate. And you know, some of the uh, the directors in Portlandia were the same people that have directed episodes of um, what Tim and Eric awesome great job, awesome show great job, awesome yeah, show great job. And it has some a kind of, of same understated comedy that I really enjoy. <laughs> sort of understated, almost anti-comedy. But I think that Battlestar Galactica episode of Portlandia from season two 
Oh, that was brilliant. Was and I, and I, I love how it ends with Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I've, I've seen that listed on Netflix. I think I'll have to check it out. Oh, you you will love the episode where the two uh, Harajuku girls come to visit Portland. It's great. <laughs> and, you know, given that you've been uh, visited me here in Portland before Thrasher, did you think the show held up as how weird it was? I mean, you had the chance to come in the summer, and we walked through a little street fair where people were playing Benny Hill music and running around. I don't. Well, the thing is, I don't. I don't <laughs> consider that that weird. I consider yeah. that very flowing and very liberated. But I do think the series does capture that very well. Yeah, I think the big lie of Portlandia, though, and I, I enjoy the show, is that they film it in the summer when it's sunny. But like, it's only sunny for maybe four months of the year in Portland. Maybe four to five months. Four months where they film. <laughs> yeah, and most of the time, you know, it's uh, in the fifties and uh, and cloudy. It's not a downpour constantly. That's a bit overstating it. But this whole month of January has been and quite frigid. It's been in the like the the twenties and the thirties most of the time. So, you know what? I I actually wore shorts out today. Son of a bitch! Here in New Orleans, hey, I'll, I would actually like to. I like the cooler weather, but we only get it for like a few weeks. I want more snow. Warm and humid snow so far. Now, when you get snow, do you get snowed in? Uh... Only once, and that was like three years ago. <laughs> I remember freaking out the, the when I when we were in Savannah the first uh, first week I was there. It snowed because I actually started oh. in January, and oh. I was like, "Whoa, snow!" You don't it, see snow when you grow up in the in the Big Easy. Well, you don't see snow very much in Savannah, did it? I can't imagine it stuck, did it? Well, it wasn't much, no, yeah, but it was. Uh, it was like it was still like, "Whoa, snow!" Sure. Well, very cool. I think we've done a good job here in the sequel cast talking about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, check out other episodes at sequelcast.com and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. Tune in next week when we cover Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, for the sequel cast, this is Matt. And Thrasher. And BJ. Saying... <laughs> always. What was that, BJ? I said, may the force be with you, always. But I had to go to Tashi Station to get some power converters. <laughs> Guys! No, he wanted to go to Tashi Station. Oh, God! No, that was actually... See, I, I have a feeling that's actually like a bar, and he wanted to go get drunk on some mixed drink called the power converter. Oh, well, that that's, that's of course, the code. You never tell your parents what you're really doing on your trip. You just tell... Or your guardi- parental guardians. You... you, you you tell them what they want to hear. You're going to enjoy your, your hot rod hobby. But actually, I once was. This was back when I was in high school. I went. I was at like there was like a career planning day that the high school had, and and so me and several other uh, and, and like and basically everyone who was going to be a senior next year went was it was mandatory to go to this thing, and I remember. I'm talking with my parents, two advisors, and three of my friends, and I end up quote just as a joke end up quoting like luke's entire thing about and then i'll transfer my application to the academy next year and like it wasn't until i got to the end that one of my friends realized that i was just quoting luke skywalker and then he started cracking up and this wave of laughter slowly (laughs) made it around the room it was great Hmm. Kind of makes you wonder what would have happened. Like, I'd love to see a what if movie if 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 
Luke Skywalker had transferred to the uh, to the academy. Well, you know what's neat is now that both Marvel and Star Wars are owned by Disney, they could do a Marvel What If Star Wars edition, and they could do What If Luke had gone to the Academy. Yeah, with the Star Wars Infinity's comics line, they've done a lot of fun What If stories over the years. I think they've done some that were rejected, like What If um, Princess Leia was pregnant with Luke's baby? Did... How can you do that? Because I never got that vibe between those two. It never felt romantic. Even in the first one where you didn't know. What if they were both just being dumb kids? (laughs) I don't think the princess is like that. I think that her way she... Like, maybe Luke, you know, growing up backwater planet, like, he might just do that, but I don't think the princess was raised that way. So you don't think that Princess Leia like liked to do it Wookiee style, is what you're saying. With or your Ewok style. Oh, Ewok style. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why does that sound like a, like a bad... I think Ewok next, style... We're going to see where, Ewok style the movie. I think or Ewok, the music video. I, what I think Ewok style is, <laughs> you know, the scene in Return of the Jedi... Yep, yep. Where yep. they back up the log, two logs by either end, and it just crashes into the uh, ATST in the middle. So on imagine side that, but <laughs> replace the log with uh, <laughs> with two fellows with their penises hanging out, coming from either end. Well, you know, there was that Star Wars burlesque show. We could do, we could write the Star Wars Kama Sutra. Oh God, I don't know if you could with Disney have cheese. The Congress of the Bantha addressing the Minoc. So if I just define what Ewok style is, what is Wookiee style? Let's end on that note. No, no, it's, it's when both your arms somehow. are ripped off. <laughs> it's like the praying mantis sort of thing. It's like your final the way to go it's, out. I want to go out Wookiee style, bleeding stumps and all. But does that mean you have to uh, have sex with Someone with no arms that wears fake arms that then you tear off in the heat of passion. Well, that's the safe way to do it. Well, you do it with a droid. You have, you have sex with a droid and you rip their arms off. It's, it's modified so they can be reattached mm-hmm. later. Well, they, since, they, make special, they make special Wookiee-style sex bots. What's the third Star Wars sex style we can talk about before closing out this show? Uh, okay, uh, um, Jawa-style. Opa Jawa-style! Oh, oh, TV! What, what's Jawa style? You take whatever uh, scrap you can off the side uh, of the road. They, they, they hit you with a stun gun uh, <laughs> and tell you as a sex slave. Fit you with a restraining bolt. Let's do a few more of these really quick. This is fun. Well, okay, actually, if I could do one more Jawa style riff, Jawas do it under the hood. Oh. Oh. Bad, okay, what's hut style? Bad mental image. Um, I would assume Jedi style is very hands off. I suppose so. A lot of levitation. Is that what you mean? <laughs> moving, moving, uh, moving body parts with your mind. Mm. <laughs> Judge me by my size, do you? <laughs> I, um, jeez, you know, seriously, I... hot style. Hot style. Yes, yeah, hot style. Bochuda solo, wanga wanga. I, I think you could do. Could you have Han Solo style? Yes. <laughs> Do you have a, where you have a Wookiee sitting next to you while you're, do, while you're uh, 
taking care of business. The Wookiee watches and shakes his head. Did <laughs> 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 you fix that hyperspace accelerator? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get, say get that. The hyper spanner. <laughs> yes, while you're doing, you have to keep saying punch it or something. <laughs> <laughs> punch it. Hand me the hydro spanner. Uh, <laughs> I need someone to talk to the Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great euphemism, boy. I'm gonna go uh, talk to the Falcon there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's no, be, that's not a, be my new slang. I that's didn't say one. tonight was the night you could do it in the asteroid field. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But so the chances of successfully navigating an asteroid see field. That, did you see that beast they shoved in the Rancor pit? Oh, Rancor. That already looks sexual. <laughs> I like... Sarlacc. Oh, God. Oh, that's the Sarlacc. That was, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Rancor was the under Jabba's uh, days. Right. The big... <laughs> no, I like... You, you said, Thrasher, the odds of navigating an asteroid field. <laughs> like 5,000 to 1. Never tell me the odds. <laughs> well, see, the, that, I, I love that list of the, the dirty Star Wars lines. Oh you yeah, we're just, like, you're braver than I thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pull out wedge, you're not doing any good back there. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of guts coming back here after what you pulled. Get in there, you furry oaf, I don't care what you smell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great it's a great list. I'll have to pull that up for the next episode. <laughs> That's yeah, good. I've heard of the one before where you add in my pants to the end of any Star Wars line and it sounds dirty. Well, the one I heard was just you replace one word with pants. Oh, no, I, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Judge me by my pants, do you? The pants will be with all, you. It all pales in comparison with the power of the pants. Yeah. <laughs> Your dedication to that ancient old pants is... That's conjured up the plan. That's no moon. That's a pair of pants. <laughs> you know, we could do a whole other episode just about Star Wars parodies and Star Wars humor. There's a lot of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess I'll close off with a pants quote, so because i got to cook some dinner, and I know it's late for you fellas on the East Coast. <laughs> I will say, uh, stay on pants. Stay on pants. Trust in your pants, Luke. You've turned off your targeting pants, Luke. What's wrong? (laughs) Without your targeting pants, how can you mine that asteroid field? (laughs) Good lord. That's it. That's the one you had. It's a small exhaust port just below the main pants. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm thinking about the asteroid field again. Um, I guess one final so thing. That asteroid field, you know, you're not coming out civilized. There's a great series of uh, comics in the Star Wars Infinities line, um, where they did what if for uh, Star Wars: A New Hope, where it's like, what if Luke missed when he shot his missile at the Death Star? Oh God! Was that and, a Sergio Aragones comic? No, um, but they did four whole issues on that, spinning off that premise. And then for Empire Strikes Back, they did what if uh, I think Luke had died. And Han Solo didn't save him in time. And Return of the Jedi um, might have been what if Han Solo had died. I think, but 
Anyway, those are fun comics. All right, good night, fellas. That was fun. <laughs> good night. The sequel cast is a Hipster Goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.